Welcome back to Play on Nerds, the only podcast that knows that the real thing is John Carpenter. With me, the man who not only knows a mimic when he sees one, but often acts like a mimic in the form of a co-host, Ron Rader. Nobody trusts anybody now. Hey, it got me out of housework once, so what's with the mimic talk? Trying not to get faked out and fooled as we discuss things that aren't the things that we think they are, but are in fact other things entirely. Are you confused yet? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay, well let's get on with it. I'm sure it will straighten out. So, when we're talking mimics, people probably immediately jump into D&D, right? Oh, for sure. Well, since we're doing film beat first, that was film beat music, um, we're going to talk about the mimics in film. Like, The Thing. You just watched The Thing, didn't you? I watched half of it the other day, but ran out of time. I've seen it before, obviously, mm-hmm. and it's pretty sweet. I love it. it we've discussed it on the podcast before. What, I mean, what can go wrong? John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Hello. You're right. Right. You know, but there's there's so much good in that movie. It, as we talked about, we discussed on the phone, um, it shows what you can do with a limited budget and still make a very compelling sci-fi story. Absolutely. I mean, when you have limited funds, you got to really rely on the storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that film does a great job. Well, and honestly, I think a lot of that film is atmosphere. It's minimal soundtrack if I remember correctly. Minimal soundtrack, so it really gives us a feeling of isolation because they are in the Antarctic. Yes. Right? And Antarctic or Arctic? I think Antarctic. Yeah. But don't quote me on that. But, well, no, I think it's Arctic because of the the Swedes or whatever at the beginning. Oh. But it's just, it adds that feeling of isolation and we don't know who we can trust and we're, so far from removed from society that you know it just adds to that ambience i guess and it, it adds really to adds the, the tension terror, right? yeah it's the terror and the tension yes so it's so well done and there's parts of it are, that are bo- that turn to body horror but the first time you see the thing that's not the thing that you think the thing is right it was really cool it definitely reminded me of like cronenberg it's really interesting if you want to talk about mimics doppelgangers on a higher level Mm -hmm. it there is a sense of terror that is that arises when you can't trust your very own eyes and you think that something is uh something trustworthy something you can trust something that's safe and it isn't and that's that's the real terror of doppelgangers and mimics and that's where i believe the movie the thing gets its strength from much like uh terminator 2 when the liquid Terminator, I don't remember what it was called, but he was able to sound like others and, you know, take different mm-hmm. shapes. His body can shape differently, you know, that kind of terror. But th- the the thing that... T-1000 was what you're looking for, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the thing with the thing is that, and you just hit on it a second ago, it's being isolated and stuck in this little closed circle, if you will. And you just don't know... You can't completely get away, and you don't know who to trust. It, it was an, one of the best use of a uh, so-called mimic. Yes, yeah, for sure. And I'll be honest, I have not seen the original 
from the 30s, I think. The Thing from Outpost 13, I think. is. Oh, I haven't either. But I haven't. That's what The Thing is based on, and I've never seen it. John Carpenter was a huge fan of kitschy 50s, 30s sci-fi movies and and horror and such. So he rebooted some of them, like The Fog, The Thing, The Blob, I think. Cool. redid The Blob. But anyway, it's... And he does a much better, I think. He does a much better job because technology and such have advanced. Storytelling has advanced since then. So knowing that, like, there there is a previous one that's out there. I don't even want to watch it because the Carpenter one is so good. Yeah, it's it's just about close to perfect. I'll say, can I say one other thing? Yes, yeah. I feel like the Carpenter version did a great job. (laughs) Pardon the pun, okay? A great (laughs) job mimicking what that type of outpost would look like. (laughs) I saw a video recently that uh, a young scientist who is in an outpost in the Arctic, uh, he gave a tour. And it was slightly bigger, I think, than perhaps than what they had for the movie budget. However, not that much bigger. And it looked... So much like the film settings did. So mm-hmm. they must have did some research. They must have some pictures. And there was an authenticity added to that. I thought it was just terrific. Oh, absolutely. And it wasn't until I watched it for the first time a few years ago that I realized, hey, Oatmeal Man is in here. Um, Wilford Brimley. You know, <laughs> and he does such a great job. Like, you know, I'd seen him in Cocoon and some of the other 80s movies. but And of course, we all know him from diabetes yes but as a spokesperson but i was like wow that is that wilford like i didn't even i hardly recognize him because he looks so different yeah it's pretty cool right it is very cool so yeah i was you know happy to see him in a role other than as a spokesperson for diabetes and (laughs) you know as cocoon or you know other or the oatmeal man i guess he was the spokesperson for oatmeal yeah oftentimes he'll play the wise old guy yes yeah absolutely so kind of like a robert duvall character you know so, yeah, The Thing, phenomenal movie. If you were to rate it out of five stars, what would you give it? Oh, I'm giving it a five. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would give it 4.75. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, just I, I push it all the way to five because of my nostalgia being about, oh, 10 to 12 years old and mm-hmm. discovering mm-hmm. it on cable and just thinking it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Oh, for sure. And Kurt Russell, I mean, he... He's great. He's, he's great. Yeah. I mean, he really, I don't know, I, I don't want to say carry the film, because it is definitely an ensemble piece. Sure. And it, that's part of its strength, too, that it's ensemble, and we don't know who to trust, and, and each player p- plays their part to the top. And each player p- plays their part to the top. You know, wow, some alliteration there. It was tough to speak. <laughs> um, but each player has a part to play, and they do so well at it. So, yeah. And the effects. I mean, let's talk about the effects briefly. At the time, they were cutting edge. Mm-hmm. When I watched it just, what, last year, I was still thinking to myself, wow, even though they're a little bit dated by today's standards, I was still thinking, wow, this kind of holds up. Yeah, I thought so, too. So, yeah, I really like it. So, yeah, thing. Phenomenal movie. Check it out if you haven't, folks. Moving on to other doppelganger. I love that term, Ron. I didn't even think about that when, you know, looking over this episode outline or whatnot, but... Uh, other doppelganger films or you know mimic movies. So, I see on your list you have mimic. Yeah, mimic. I don't. I don't know what who would have thought. I have never signed. Uh, I've never signed it. I've never seen it. 
And, Maybe I have and don't remember. And I just know it's out there. And they even made a sequel. And I don't know if it was like one of those direct-to-video sequels or, you know, direct-to-cable sequels. But we'll get the research team on it. And I do know it was from 1990, late, late 90s, 97 is what hmm. it was. Mimic. Mimic. And it just, it looked kind of interesting i think <laughs> i not like i said i have not seen it if i did it was in and out of my brain because it didn't stick with me okay it's starting to come back a little bit because Bira Servino is in it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she was uh it, she was an a-list star at the time for sure so mm-hmm. i remember seeing a lot of her flicks i think i might have seen this on cable but to be honest it details do not stick in my mind especially after over 25 years right right so yeah it's just not i mean it's about cockroaches that like mimic their prey and they start out with like plague-ridden cockroaches and then they start evolving and start mimicking humans so as i'm looking through the details though mark i i think this is the film i we should check out i mean it's written and directed by guillermo del toro Right. Who is right. a master. Oh, for sure. And not only is Mira Savino in it, but F. Murray Abraham's in it. Oh, Charles Dutton's in it. I love him. Oh, yeah. He's Josh Brolin. Yeah. This is a cast, man. This is, yeah, it's for sure a big time cast and some big names in there. And I mean, Garamo knows how to direct. You know, he, he really does a great job with like all his movies. Okay. I'm checking this flick out. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll oh, watch it. We'll compare notes next time. Maybe, yep. maybe we'll do a uh, bonus feature for Patreon subscribers. There you go. Where we discuss the mimic in detail when i have a few days off coming up soon i'm gonna kick back and watch this film there we go phenomenal so mimic 2 came out probably based on the success of the mimic i would think because they don't generally green light sequels if they're not successful right well well, here's the funny thing is i'm looking at uh the details Mm -hmm. the budget was 30 million for the first mimic and it made 25.5 wow so it would have been considered a box office bomb at the time yeah, that is funny. Wow, that's kind of funny. So, yeah. But Mimic 2, I was just looking at that, and not nowhere near as big of a cast name. And, I mean, I don't recognize anyone. Except, um, it looks like Jerry from Parks and Rec is in it. Figure it out, Jerry. Wow. Don't be such a Jerry, Ben. Jerry, what the hell? I didn't do this. Jerry, can you please be quiet? Damn it, Jerry. Oh, that sounds like the Newlywood game. Shut up, Jerry. Uh, maybe they just wanted to, uh, uh, maybe somebody liked the idea and they got a license to do the, a direct to maybe, maybe so video. I don't know. It doesn't look as compelling as a first, but no, it doesn't. We will have to check those out. Um, I'm, I'm loath to check out Mimic too, but we should probably check it out just because, Why not? Just for you know, fun. just, just for the heck of it. But the other ones that I have on here, another Carpenter flick, they live. Yes. I saw this. When it first came out, mm-hmm. I don't remember all the details, but I remember it being fun. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah. What's your thoughts? I, I, I know you're more familiar with this film than me. I love this movie. The first time I watched it as a kid, I was probably 12 years old when I saw it on cable for the first time. And I didn't even start at the beginning. I Like five, ten minutes in, I was like, what is this? Okay, he has glasses. This is kind of cool. <laughs> and I started watching it, and I was just like, this is an amazing movie. As I grew older, I got more and more appreciation for it because of the message and because of, you know, just the cinematography for it. But I started learning some other facts regarding they live. Did you know that the big fight scene that takes place in the alley and he's trying to get him to try on the glasses to just see he, that was all like pretty much improv. Oh, that's great. Like they, 
it was not a choreographed fight, so to speak. There was a couple of choreographed moments, but most of it was just because Roddy Roddy, uh, Rowdy Roddy came from the wrestling background. Yeah, right? Roddy Piper. Yeah. So yeah, so he knew how to do it, you know. And and the other guy was just like, yeah. There was a couple times he hit me a little hard, but I'm like, whatever. I'll give as good as I get, you know. And they just went at it a little bit. That's awesome. And when the camera stopped rolling, they're like, okay, that was cool. Was that, <laughs> you know? was that Keith David? Was he? The I think guy? so. Yeah. I, yeah. Love, I love that guy. He's a great yeah, actor. He, he's a great actor. So they live amazing. Like, if you have not seen it, folks, there's some spoilers ahead. I mean, it's an old movie, older, I should say. But it just was re-released in theaters uh, recently, uh, this past summer. Oh, wow. Uh, for an anniversary edition, I think. That's cool. So my son had said he wanted to watch it with his friends. And I'm like, you guys are like late teens, early 20s. Which is kind of, you know, it's like, wow, you guys are watching my generation movies now. And th- like his friend said, it was amazing, and he and sure enough, my son watched it on his computer at home, and I'm like that was amazing. I'm like, I'm telling you, the '80s movies are where it's at. You know, great <laughs> storytelling. You know, the, like the effects are somewhat dated now, but it doesn't matter. That one actually holds up. The effects are really good in that one. When the storytelling's strong, um, you can look past effects that are not top notch. Yes, absolutely. unless the effects are so bad that it takes you out of the story. Right, right. So spoilers coming up. For They Live. If you've not seen it, check it out. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. The big mimic in They Live are the humans, right? Right. The aliens posing as humans, and you can only see them if you put on these special sunglasses. And it turns out there's subliminal messages everywhere. (laughs) Like, you take out bills out of your wallet for money, and it says, this is your god. I mean, that's a pretty strong political statement right oh, it like is. a social statement i should say and he looks at ads and they're like all consume obey do you remember where he got the sunglasses i don't remember i don't remember either i can't remember he found them or something yeah. boy like i think he found them on the street or something and he like put them on and he's like what and here's another fun fact what's the character's name oh jeez. I would remember. Good question. You shouldn't remember it because he has no name. Oh, really? They never. He's say like, it? yeah, he's like the man with no name in oh, wow. uh, Clint Eastwood movies. They never give him a name. Matter of fact, in the script, I think his name is No Name. That's hilarious. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Because it, it shows you, you do not have to have a named character with a ton of character development to tell a compelling story. So They Live is an amazing movie. I give it five out of five for this one. I don't remember it well enough to, to rank it, but I do remember enjoying it. I, it came out when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I know my tastes have changed since then, but I would definitely give it another shot. Oh, you should. It's it's so amazing. As you can tell, obviously, I have a soft spot in my heart for this movie. <laughs> it's probably one of my favorite Carpenter movies of all time. But Moving on the list, late 90s, we talked about The Mimic. I think this came out about the same time as The Mimic species do you remember this one i do remember this one and i'm sorry i believe i saw it has some sequels right yes (laughs) i uh i saw the first one i think at the theater um is it the film that stars i i don't remember a character's name or the actress name but it's like a young blonde lady yeah 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 uh i saw this in the theater when it came out with some friends thinking it was going to be better than it was thing and honestly the 98 percent of the film was pretty decent yeah it was. I, I would say it was decent. It was good. It was. Had, looking back, I worked at the movie theater at the time, and I got free tickets. Well, so, there you go. Right? So I'm like, okay, cool. And on the big screen, it was something. But 
looking back on it nowadays, if it came out now, I'd be like, that's worth a rental. Not even a, <laughs> not even going to the movies. You know, it's yeah. like, I'll stream that at home or something. I'll wait for it to come out on streaming. <laughs> but the, the thing that bothered me, yeah, I think they did three or four sequels. But the thing that bothered me the most about Species was the ending. We're going to fast forward right to the ending of this one, Ron, because like, the rest of the film was a pretty basic plot of an alien species mimicking a human, trying to mate with other humans Yes, to right. propagate the species, right? So it was like, oh, and it had Natasha Hensridge and Ming Kingsley, Michael Madsen, some really good names, really good acting. Forrest Whitaker, you know, Michelle Williams is even in it. So yeah, it had some really good acting and such. However, the last five minutes prior to the credits they fight the alien and they blow it up and it's awesome and i'm like yay okay movie's over great and they the camera does a slow pan zoom in on a rat that was down in the sewers where they're fighting this thing and you see it nibble at one of the parts that got blown up and you're like what and then it like moves off and it, the camera follows it and it comes up to like another rat or a bug or something and the tongue sticks out like the species uh, and, like, uh, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. That is the worst ending of a movie of all time. <laughs> so we actually termed the species ending. We coined the phrase the a species ending for movies that end poorly. <laughs> like I'll watch like Dusk of Dawn, another great movie. And we thought how it was great, how it turned from like a crime movie in the beginning to a vampire, to a vampire movie at the end. But when they pan back and show that pyramid, I was like, oh. Seriously, that was a species ending. Uh, so, although now I have an appreciation for Dusseldon for the ending because it is kind of cool. Yeah, it is, it's different. I've I've seen that about five or ten times. I'm a big fan. But another mimic movie because they mimicked uh, strippers and, <laughs> and oh humans, yeah, that is. Know? But they're true. they're they're vampires. However, species ending was totally a term that I still use to this day when I see a movie for the first time and go. Wow, that ended really badly. <laughs> like, there's so many better ways to end things, right? Yes, it stinks when it, when the payoff is that bad. Yes, for sure. So we'll move from Species into a good series of movies. I think it's good anyway. They kind of lost their steam, and I have not seen the latest one, but we're talking more than meets the eye, the Transformers. You want to know something? You've not seen one? I've only seen the first one. Okay. Well, the first one's fun. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Yeah, it was fun. The second one wasn't horrible. The third one, I kind of, like I said, they started losing steam. I saw, was it the fourth one recently? And I was like, wow, this isn't that bad. How many are there? I think there's five now. Five? Five or six. But the Beast Wars one just came out with Optimus Primal, you know, the ape Optimus Prime guy. Oh, okay, yeah. I have not seen that one yet, but the trailers looked amazing. It looked like it got the whole franchise back on the rails. So I'm excited. I'm actually kind of excited to see that. And I we did watch the Bumblebee uh, standalone prequel. Was that good? That was really good. I was I was actually very surprised. I almost went to see that with my son, but we just something happened. We just ended up okay. over there. Yeah, it was it was kind of neat. It takes place right before the first movie, you know, and and it, well, you know, a few years prior, but it's pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. You know, I liked the first one. Yeah, the first one it was very fun. I I rewatch that occasionally. Now that one had Sh- uh, Sh- Shiloh. Is that his name? Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. And Run who was the guy? Shia LaBeouf. Who was the gal? Uh, Megan Fox. Megan Fox. Yep. That's right. Yep. So directed by Michael Bay. Has he done all so, of them? 
Um, I don't think he did all of them. Simply, I think he signed off on them. His production company headed up a few, but I think after the second or third one, he was like, "Yeah, I'm not directing these for a while or anything." But I don't know if he did the Beast ones. I'd have to check that out because, like I said, it actually looked good. But I think when he stepped down from the director helm, if I'm not mistaken, he may have directed them. But uh, we'll get the research team on that. Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm I familiar know. with the uh, the comics and the animated series of Transformers. Just not real familiar with the with the flicks. My favorite thing about the movies is they got Peter Cullen to do the voice of Optimus Prime. Oh, that's great. My name is Optimus Prime. We are autonomous robotic organisms from the planet Cybertron. And he did it for the animated series. And he's, I mean, you can't beat it, you know. And that connection great. and consistency mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. My name is Optimus Prime. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's just, he's so awesome. Yeah, he's good. He's good. So, yeah, talking about, you know, Transformers, that just moves us right in. Moves us? I don't know. It rolls us out into toy time. Nice Dean came in segue there. He'd be so proud. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll be right back right after this. The Transformers, more than meets the eye. Autobots wait their battles to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. The Transformers, more than meets the eye. The Transformers, robots in the sky. Attack the Autobot Commander! Call in the Decepticon leader! Transformers, more than meets the eye. The Transformers, sold separately from Hasbro. More than meets the eye, Transformers. Was there a bigger line in the 80s than Transformers? Probably. <laughs> uh, Kenner's Star Wars. I was going to say Star Wars, <laughs> uh, Trans- G.I. Joe, Transformers, and boy, you know, I don't, Patch Kids? I don't know if it was bigger, but it was also what was huge was uh, Micronauts. Micronauts, yeah, we mentioned that. That was more of a 70s. But yeah, I was going to say, we mentioned that in the uh, tiny episode, uh, Small Creatures episode, mm-hmm. I should say. And but Transformers were huge. Transformers were huge. And I will be honest, I only had one Transformer. Well, no, I I had two. One was the full-size Generation 1. G1 is what they're called now to collectors. Transformer. Yeah. And I had Trailblazer. He was like an SUV. And my uncle had bought him for me for Christmas one year. And I thought it was awesome. Like He was, he was really cool. I know I had Op- Optimus Prime... I'm guessing probably one of the earliest, if not the first American released one. Okay. Um, because we were just at the right age, my brother and I. Mm-hmm. And so we were huge into them, but we only had a few. And they came out about the time we were at the tail end of liking toys. Okay. So we didn't get a ton, but um, boy, they were huge and we loved them. And we watched the cartoon, uh, well, religiously, really. We just yeah. never missed it. Well, and honestly, that cartoon, I didn't watch it just because I didn't have any of the toys, right? And when I was that age, I wanted to... Watch a cartoon of toys I had so I can reenact or whatnot. Sure. And I only had the one transform, true transform. Well, I had the one G1 transformer. And then I had, you know, I had matchbox size ones. Yeah. And I had one of those, I think. And I may have had Bumblebee when he was in the VW bug form, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, I digress. So I didn't watch the cartoon a whole lot growing up, but I did watch it as an adult. And I'm like, wow, this isn't bad. Yeah. You know, it's definitely written for kids. It's. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's it's fun. My son liked it for a few years, and he had a few Transformers himself. He's 11, so that was recently. Mm-hmm. And Transformers has sold well over the years until recent years. 
I mean, Hasbro is kind of in trouble. None of the toys sell anymore. Toys in general don't sell that well anymore. No, Kids no. want iPads and phones. So toys in general yeah. don't sell well, and Hasbro's they they're, they're struggling right now because of that. And that includes the uh, Transformer line, which is a bummer because they some of them look terrific. Oh, like for better sure. than when we were kids, right? And that's their target audience, I believe, is guys like us. Who, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Want to relive some childhood? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, Transformers definitely up there as far as toy lines. When we were growing up, like you said, things are kind of flagging off a little bit for toys in general, and I think that's partly due to like you can talk about different ages. Like you have the industrial age or pre-industrial age for America, and then industrial age, and we moved into the digital age, and so. You know, like you said, kids want phones and, you know, electronic switches and whatnot. Yep. And it's like, that's because of the age that we live in. Yeah, my son stopped playing with toys about three or four years earlier than I did. Yeah, yeah. And I'll be quite honest, and I'll totally embarrass myself here. I didn't stop truly playing with toys. Like, my friends and I would mess around, even in early high school, with some toys, like G. old G.I. Joe guys I have. And, and we wouldn't actually sit there and play and like do like reenactments or anything like that but we'd sit there and we'd chat and we'd be posing the guys and, and setting them on the desk and stuff you know so so we didn't play per se but we were still messing around with them and like as old as 15 so. yeah you know i think i stopped about at about 12 mm-hmm. but the reason i did is because i discovered D. ah yes yeah. and i just wanted to spend all my time playing that's why i'm still playing but I just wasn't playing with action figures. It turned into Ralph Partha. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So the play changes, I guess, as we get yep, older. You know, exactly. we still play, but especially guys. You know, I'm not gonna. But you know, those you transformers know. were cool. I, I see on here. Um, oh, I guess we're still in toys. I'm jumping yeah. the gun on you. Mike. Yeah, you're go- you're gonna jump the well, gun, but that's okay. Well, yeah, I want to talk about the knockoff of transformers. I think we need to have bit. more pr- uh, thorough production meetings for me. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah, um, I do want to talk about the knockoffs. Yes, yes. Uh, since we're talking about toys and Transformers, GoBots. Do you remember those? I I loved the the cartoon. Did you? I never even watched the cartoon. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it was my preferred one of the two. Yeah? I'm wow. not saying that it's better. It's just maybe I just caught it more. Okay. But I remember loving it. Uh, my, uh, my best friend loved it. My brother loved it. So a lot of times we would get together on Saturdays, walk to each other's houses or stay a night. Um, with each other on Friday night, just so that was one of the shows we could catch in the morning. Um, and again, I don't know if it's better. It may not be. It wasn't as successful, but we sure did love it. Okay, well, and the funny thing is, I talked about how I never watched Transformers show because I owned just a couple of vehicles. I actually had more GoBots than I did Transformers because they were smaller and they were Matchbox. And they were probably more could, economical, right? Exactly. My mom could afford those for sure, yes. so she bought me a few. Not many more. However, I had enough more where I probably could have watched a cartoon and did some. I know I for sure had Psykill, the the evil leader, but I just thought he was awesome as yeah, a sure. toy. He was awesome, and I had the helicopter one, and they were so big at the time. I believe was it Wendy's offered it in their kids meal as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. Matter of fact, it went over to McDonald's. McDonald's was competing, and they did food items that transform into robots. So. Back in that time period of the 80s, everything was a robot, right? Yeah, it was all mimicking something. Yes, which brings us back to the episode, Mimics. Ah, was yeah. Here's a quick question. So Transformers owned, orig- well, maybe the cartoons still, the IP still is. Mm-hmm. So I'm not talking about the toys, but was the I- is the IP or was the IP Japanese? 
I believe so, yeah. And then yeah. GoBots must have been an American copy or American. No, actually, GoBots was a Japanese. Oh, Japanese as well. As well, oh, yeah. interesting. And I believe we Americans kind of messed it up. <laughs> um, um, come on, of course I'll, we did. I'll tell you, for example. We made it kiddified, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Robotech is a good example. Oh, yeah. The Macross saga. Now, in America, it was one storyline, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. In Japan, it was two separate series that they spliced together here in America to make one storyline. And it was two totally unrelated series, and they put them together and made a storyline out of it. It was similar for GoBots and Transformers. It was actually one storyline, and they split it for U.S. Mm. So, because they got different licensing for different companies. Well, you know, that happens when they adapt uh, Japanese animation here, at least in the old days. Now they do a mm. much better job. Oh, for sure. And uh, the same thing, similar thing with Gatchaman, which became Battle of the Planets here. Oh, yeah. And then they create new stuff to insert in the American. Like, so, you know, in the 70s and early 80s, especially with a lot of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, let's say they did a... Fantastic Four, Justice League, whoever, mm-hmm. Justice League being Super Friends, they always had to add in the little character that's funny. Like even in the D&D cartoon, they had to yeah. add Uni. Yep. Well, they did that with uh, Battle of the Planets, which was Gotcha mm-hmm. Man. And, oh, yeah. Uh, they added this little robot that was at their home base, and it was just mm-hmm. goofy. And I don't know why, but uh, the folks who were in charge of American animation at the time just believed that every cartoon had to add something like that. Oh, yeah. Well, Thundercats. Snarf! Oh, yeah. Exactly. You know, I did not. Orko and He-Man. Yeah. Orko yeah, and He-Man. We can, we can list a ton of them. Yeah. Yep. For yeah. sure. So, the other toy I want to mention briefly is real Ghostbusters mimics. And uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those were cool. Kind of, those were cool. Those were cool. I was a little too old to get those cause, because Ghostbusters came out in 84. And by then, I was just... A little too old for toys, but I did keep my eye on those, and it looked great. I'm assuming, since you're a little younger than I am, those are probably some of your faves. Uh, yeah, I never owned any, but I loved them. Like, when I saw the commercial, I wanted some, of course. And, you know, being the traditional Baptist, my mom was like, no, we're not getting those. <laughs> but Which is funny, because they were the ones who introduced me to Ghostbusters in the first place. Hilarious. And I didn't want to watch it when it came out, because I was pretty young. And the librarian scene in the beginning freaked me out. I ran out of the room. I was like, nope, I'm not watching this. My kids like, hated it's funny, that at first, funny. too. <laughs> yeah, and they were like, it's funny, watch. And So then I did watch as I grew older. I love Ghostbusters now. You know, I love the whole franchise and everything. And I look at some of those toys, like the toilet monster. He mimics a toilet, and then he, like, you lift the lid, and there's teeth, and, and like, eyes come out of the bag. And it's just so cool. Oh, I need to find a used one and use that in D&D terrain. <laughs> yeah, for Maybe sure. Maybe not the toilet, but something else. But something else. And, and then there's Granny Goodness, which was one that's my favorite. Looks like this grandma with a huge head, and her arms go up, and her jaw falls all the way down to her yeah. body and it's like this huge mouth that, that one her eyes bugs out yeah. yeah yeah so there's and there was lots of them i want to say there was like a lawnmower that came to life or nice. a, there was even a car like the ghostbusters car it was like a yellow vw bug that popped open it was like this praying mantis looking bug thing that is great so yeah even real ghostbusters got into the action for mimics so to speak so in trans things that transform, it was a theme in the eighties for toys to transform. I guess, huh? Yeah, um, that's absolutely. why Mask was so big as well. It was like a mix of GI Joe and Transformers, and that was one of my favorite toy lines. I had a lot of that one. That you know, it's interesting that you said that because I think because of the Transformers being so popular, you see all that trend in so many franchises. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
for sure. And Mask, I don't know if you're familiar with what we talked about I am it familiar briefly. It, yeah. yeah, we talked about it briefly. That was one cartoon I never missed as well. Um, so between that and G.I. Joe, I never missed those episodes. I never watched Mask because I had gotten a little too old. Right, right. I, well, I'm a little bit younger than you, so it makes sense. But I loved the Mask toys. They And they were genius. I Was it? I think Mattel was the one who did these. And they were a genius because they were like, no, we can't do the traditional three-quarter scale uh, for like we would for G.I. Joe or Star Wars because then the vehicles would be so huge. Yeah, massive. And they'd be massive, and it would not be a good price point. So they shrunk them down and actually had the vehicles work and be a good price point, and that's why I had so many. Like My mom bought me some for Christmases, birthdays, that sort of thing. And it was like, wow, that's that's pretty awesome. You know, and the the figures weren't so small that you couldn't, they were so small they didn't have details on their faces. They didn't have, like, they had eyes sculpted, but they didn't have them painted even. Yeah. But it worked. And you put the mask on anyway, you don't care. But just, and the concept was great. I'm still waiting for a live action version of the mask movie. That would be pretty cool. And they did reboot it in comic book form, which we're going to move into comic corner as well. Because... I want to talk about the mask comic as we're talking about masks. So Go for it. make it natural, you know, but at the same time, we got to roll that music. Okay. <laughs> Much better. So the mask comic I caught, it was IDW that did a reboot of mask. Was that recently? And it was pretty recently. I want to say it was like three, four years ago, maybe now. Okay. Not that long ago. So it wasn't that long ago. They changed some elements. They brought it up to date and it made sense the way it worked. And I read the first few issues. I liked it. I never stuck with it. I think there's 15 issues total, if I'm not mistaken, but I read the first two or three and I went, wow, this is actually pretty good. The artwork was amazing. Storyline was decent. I would give it like a B for storyline. And, that made me excited for a live action movie. Awesome. Because I'm like, if they did something like this for the movie, it would work. So the bad guys, and it's funny because acronyms are big in the 80s as well, right? Like, oh, for sure. Mask, Mobile, Armored Strike, Command with a K. Hello. <laughs> you know, yeah. but you got to make it work. And then Venom was the bad guys in Mask, and they're Vicious Evil Network of Mayhem. <laughs> mayhem being Miles Mayhem, the leader of the bad guys, right? Well, in the storyline for the comic, it was a military faction that basically were like, we are not working for the U.S. government anymore because they suck. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, like, and he's like, don't you see? This is what I'm trying to do. Like, and he was fighting the system, so to speak, but not the right way. Kind of like how, from a certain point in the view, Sith are right. You know, Jedi are dogmatic and, you know, they, they get so wrapped up in their religious views. They're not focusing on the bigger picture. But the Sith are the bad guys, you know, so it's like. But on one hand, they are right, you know, so it was kind of like that in the comic book, that Venom wasn't bad, but they were going about it the wrong way. They're you know, they had some good points. trying to keep order. Right, exactly. <laughs> they had some good points. Yeah. But, so, yeah, comic book was really good. But you had mentioned earlier you read a lot of the Transformers comics. I had not read any, so please, fill me in. Oh, I, it's not that I had read a ton. I grabbed them here or there, mm-hmm. so this would have been in the early to mid-80s, uh, so... I remember them not being quite as good as the cartoon, but they were pretty popular for a while. I don't remember how many issues they got up to, but if I had to guess, I'd say probably about 80 issues. Wow. You know, and I think it was monthly, so how many years is that? You yeah, know? yeah. Five, six years, seven years. They were pretty popular, but you know, in comics in general, the whole mimic doppelganger thing is a story trope 
at least in the superhero genre, <clears throat> oh, yeah. excuse me, that arises quite frequently. And writers, with their creativity and no uh, limitations by budget in the comic medium, would often find different ways for a character to appear what he or she is not actually, at, appear as what they're not actually. Um, and that would be used for some great story elements. Mm-hmm. But nothing was as cool or done as well as Mystique in the X-Men. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, even in the movies, Mystique yeah, is Mystique amazing. is, yeah. it, it, that is the one that is the standout uh, as someone who read comics in the 80s uh, and, and well beyond. But in the 80s during the, the real golden days of the Uncanny X-Men, um, that was the doppelganger, if you will, the mimic that um, people really, really loved. Oh, for sure. And I was, we were going to talk about Mystique here, definitely on the outline, but... Oh, it is? Briefly, <laughs> yeah. Briefly going back to the... Again, we need better production meetings. Um, <laughs> briefly going back to the Transformers comic. That was a star imprint of Marvel, wasn't it? Uh, I believe it was listed as a okay. star one. Okay, and then eventually became Marvel, but yeah. that surprised me because G.I. Joe was done under their headline, or their, under their Marvel publishing. Yeah, that's because G.I. Joe uh, was started... Before Star was, um, before they launched Star Comics. Okay, that yeah. would explain it. But because I can only imagine Transformers would be the same way, like it would be the same thing. But they yeah. did do crossovers of uh, Transformers and GI Joe a few times now. Uh, the recent one was as recently as I want to say 2017. Huh, pretty recent. So yeah, IDW did it, and I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool because they work so well together, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. And same with Mask, they actually did a a huge crossover event, like kind of like a Crisis on Infinite Earth type thing, where all these properties were crossover. They had Transformers, Mask, uh, a thing called Rom R O M. Oh yeah, Rom for sure. Yeah, I had lots of Rom, yep. especially because it crossed over with the X Men. And I believe Micronauts were part of that as well. So, you know, to throw Micronauts in there as well, and yeah. you know, it's just it's kind of cool to see these huge, you know, franchises kind of meet and work together. And it turns out Mask was actually a subsidiary of GI Joe. It was a not business wise. I'm saying it was like a special unit of a special ops in oh, G.I. Cool. Joe. So it was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. That's how they explain it anyway. Hmm. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of neat. So, yeah, that that wraps it up about Transformer Comics, I guess, if it was a star imprint, and that explained why it was written the way it was as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they had to definitely keep it for younger so, readers. Yeah. Now, speaking of Marvel, you had already mentioned Mystique from X-Men. What about Scrolls? I mean, Scrolls are the ultimate bad guy mimics, are they not? Oh, they're amazing, aren't they? Even people who don't read comics often will know what a scroll is. Yeah, I and I never followed the Marvel comics until I became an adult, and I knew what they were before I started reading them. And, you know, I played a little, tiny, tiny bit of Hero Clicks back in the day, and that was one of the things, like, I just remember seeing a team of scrolls, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But And we'll, we'll talk about that briefly in... Tabletop. I mean, the scrolls have played such a big part in the Marvel Universe from the early FF, our Fantastic Four issues, all the way up into Secret War, or Secret, um, Secret Invasion, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. And just so many stories in between. There's the Super Scroll, who has powers from the various members of the Fantastic Four. And they, getting back to what we originally said. They invoke a lot of the terror that a doppelganger and a mimic can invoke. And mm-hmm. that is, you think there's something else and you trust them and they're not. That right. sinister evil is able to get close to you. 
And that's what makes them a great villain. Oh, for sure. And that worked really well in the Return of Superman series as well. But we'll be moving on into tabletop so we can get this episode rolling here a little bit so we don't you know, Sounds make good. it three hours long or anything. But Ah, you so, know. Yeah, you know. Because this whole episode we've been talking about mimics. And we started off the episode talking about D&D and mimics and that yes. sort of thing. So we'd be remiss if we did not mention mimics in D&D. You have not used any in the previous campaign. I don't know if you're planning on using any Pathfinder. If you are, <laughs> don't tell me because I play in that campaign and I want to be surprised. You know, mimics have never been one of my favorite uh, villains or favorite uh, foes to throw mm-hmm. into uh, D&D. But I do like them, and you never know. There could be one lurking around the corner, and you right. just don't know. Right, for sure. And, you know, as I read a lot of DM tr- tips and tricks and such, and for me as a DM, I like the idea of mimics. I oh, like yeah. The concept. Sure. I mean, it's just such a cool thing, but part of it seems a little underhanded, <laughs> you know, to my players. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that to them, but I kind of do. <laughs> you know, in the 80s, when I was playing and I was not DMing, I was mostly a player mm-hmm. in the 80s. Uh, there were a couple times where I was, so my character and, my, and the party would were surprised by mimics, and we always initially like, what? And you'd be angry about it, but as long as you survived it, once it was done, you'd be cackling and thinking it was funny and and just really appreciate the moment. But yeah, that, it's, again, evoking that terror because mm-hmm. you don't know. You think it's something else. Oh, yeah, for sure. And one of the best things I've read is if you're not prepared as a DM, one, shame on you. But two, I mean, life happens, right? Right. But two, if you, before you get into the main meat of the session, you could always say, okay, you guys wake up the next morning, you're in the pub, you're getting breakfast. Suddenly the table comes to life. The table <laughs> became a mimic overnight. Like, you know, like it'd been posing yeah. this whole time. So you could throw a mimic in a, what would normally be a serene scene. Absolutely. That they're not expecting, and it would really liven the whole session up. Absolutely. You know? So I was like, roll for initiative. What? We're just eating breakfast. <laughs> yeah, your baking's trying to kill you now. I you know, love so. how in the D&D movie that came out recently, uh, Honor Among Thieves. Yes. When they movie. were in that maze. I can't mm-hmm. remember what that was called. It was part of some games. Mm-hmm. They were in that maze, and all these different teams are trying to find weapons in these little uh, treasure chests. Mm-hmm. And they're under pressure. Yeah. They have to get something quick. Yep. So you can't even think about whether or not this is a real item or a, a mimic or a creature and how one of them runs into one. I, I just think that's great. That was great. I, the people I saw it with, I saw it with my wife and brother-in-law, and they both jumped out of their skin when that happened. <laughs> and I was just sitting there chuckling because I could, you know. You I'm, kind of knew. Hey, I kind of knew being up, a DM. Right? I'm like, something's going to happen, just the way yeah. they set it up. And I'm, they got to throw that I jumped a little. Weapon. I'm not going to lie. I did jump a little, but I didn't jump out of my skin like they did. They both jumped like you know, eight inches in the air. I'm like, really? <laughs> there are some things that are just classically D and D and, and that those are mimics, beholders, mm-hmm. owl bears, you know, displacer beasts. And that film did a good job getting a few of those things in. Oh yeah, for sure. Now, speaking of mimics and D and D kobold press, you know, my love for these guys. Yeah. They're they great. Do so love that company. Well, they actually came out with a, an adventure module, like a small campaign. I mean, it's a very small, like four session campaign, I want to say. Hmm. It's called Rise of the Mimic Moon. And basically, it's a moon that's a mimic. Like a whole planet is a mimic. And when it comes into orbit with the land or Earth or planet, whatever, like it starts spawning a whole bunch of mimics 
throughout the land. Like, so everything is ours because you don't know what's a mimic and what's not. You can only assume everything is a mimic. Right. So I'm like, ooh, this is a really cool concept for, you know, and you have to stop the mimic moon from spawning more and got to destroy what's out there. And so it's like, this is pretty cool. So the rise of the mimic moon is what it's called. I, I did purchase it. It looks amazing. That's awesome. So, yeah. You know, it kind of throws back a little bit to comics. There's that one GL who is a living planet. Yes. And I know there was a living planet somewhere in the, or maybe a living, living island in the early X-Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the whole land being a living creature thing, too, a, a mimic, a doppelganger, mm-hmm. what have you, is a, is a trope that's really fun, too. And that, that sounds good. You yeah. may have to run that sometime. Yeah, I might have to include that in a campaign That'd some be fun. or something. But just like Optimus Prime in the Transformer movie, the animated movie, remember how traumatic it was as kids? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, our time is up. <laughs> hey, do you like merch? Don't want to miss out on really cool things? Then join the party at Patreon. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. Feel free to leave some feedback by shooting us a message on Facebook or Instagram at Broken Series Productions. Or you can also leave us a voicemail at 419-866-NERD. That's 419-866-6373. Who knows? You might even be featured on the show. Until next time, play play on, nerds. nerds.